Thank you. Well, good evening. Uh, once you turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 27, um, while you're turning there, I'm going to hand this to Seth over here. He can start passing it around. But um, Men's Breakaway is a CCA Northwest Men's Conference, March 18th. Um, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday. Um, if you guys haven't signed up and you're planning on going, please sign up, put your name down and everything. Um, you'll have to figure out your way there and ride and everything like that. But um, if you want to go, haven't signed up, please do so, so we know how many people are coming. So, all right. Jeremiah, chapter 27. Let's read the first few verses here, and then, uh, then we'll pray. Verse 1, it says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord to me, Make for yourselves bonds and yokes, and put them on your neck, and send them to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the Ammonites, the king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon, by the hand of the messengers who come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and command them to say to their masters, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to your masters, I have made the earth, the man, and the beast that are on the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and have given it to whom it seemed proper to me. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And the beasts of the field I have also given him to serve him. So all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the time of his land comes. And then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. And it shall be that the nation and kingdom which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation I will punish, says the Lord, with the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. Therefore, do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, or your sorcerers, who speak to you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. For they prophesy a lie to you, to remove you far from your land, and I will drive you out, and you will perish. But the nations that bring their necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let them remain in their own land, says the Lord, and they shall till it and dwell in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for that time of worship that we had. Lord, we thank you for uh, just the opportunity to gather together as a body of believers, Lord, to spend time in worship, to spend time praying, to spend time studying your word, Lord. I pray that tonight, as we look at these things, that you would speak to the hearts of each and every person here, that you, by your Spirit, would uh, reveal areas in our hearts and our lives that we need to deal with, that we haven't surrendered to you, 
things that we're holding back, Lord, uh, areas that perhaps we have sin, Lord, that you're revealing and convicting us on, that your spirit would would reveal those to us, we would respond in our hearts to you in repentance, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in those areas where we need encouragement, exhortation, strengthening, Lord, and that by the power of your Spirit and by the wisdom of your Word, Lord, that we would grow. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us tonight in your name. Amen. So, verse 1 here, it says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Now, if you read the rest of the passage, in fact, you saw um, in verse 3 even, it switches which king it's talking about. It switches to Zedekiah here. And there are many Bible scholars who believe that this is what's called a copyist's error here in here, not that the scriptures themselves were errored and that God didn't know what he was talking about when he was inspiring Jeremiah to write these things down. But over time, as the scriptures are being um, transcribed from their originals, copied over, it's there can be little errors here and there that are inserted in. Thankfully, we have manuscripts and we have other things that help us to look at and try to get back to the originals. Um, based on all the context of this passage, this first part should speak about Zedekiah. In fact, if you look at the first verse of chapter 26, chapter 27 is identical, which gives you another clue that perhaps this was a little bit of a, a copyist's error in that they were copying and transcribed over what was in 26 to 27 here. Um, so either way, the context as you read through it, it's all speaking about the time of Zedekiah here. So it's in the time of Zedekiah, it says, verse 2, Thus says the Lord to me, Make yourselves bonds and yokes and put them on your neck. So in this time, a yoke, you know, um, it was used on oxen or cattle, um, beasts of burden. Uh, usually it was wood, um, a cross piece that would go across the neck. Uh, of the animal and then two posts or pegs that would go through that that would go down on either side of the neck of the animal and then would have a bond of leather or some other material that would tie it together and then that wooden yoke would be attached to whatever was being pulled a cart a chariot a plow uh, if it was a team of oxen some the yoke would go across two of them um, and so that's what the Lord is, is telling Jeremiah here to make for himself bonds and yokes and to put it on his neck and also to make more and to send them to these kings, uh, to the king of Edom, Moab, Ammonites, king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon um, by the hand of the messengers who come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. So uh, Jeremiah here, like we've seen earlier, the Lord is having him do this prophetic picture for the people of a yoke. A yoke was, again, it was a tool of um, a beast of burden. They used them even on slaves, on people. Um, but it's a sign of submission, of being a, uh, a, a beast of burden or a person who is 
submitted to another to do some work, to do labor, and, and being under that uh, authority and rule here. And so this is what um, this is what Jeremiah is told to by the Lord to put on himself to wear before the people, but also send to these kings. Now, if you look at uh, the timing here, uh, we have all these different kings that have come to Jerusalem um, in the Babylonian Chronicles, which are some tablets that have been uncovered by archaeology. They have discovered that a year before this took place in Jeremiah's time, there was actually a sort of revolt in Babylon against Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar had to kind of put down uh, there in Babylon. And so uh, with that being the context, and you look here, and then as as you're reading what the Lord's message is to the people, to these kings and also to Zedekiah, you can see that there's sort of this mindset of perhaps Nebuchadnezzar is weak now. Perhaps we can throw off his bonds from us. And we can, you know, expect the Lord to return uh, the people that have gone in captivity. And we can expect all the things that were taken from our temple to be given back to us. And, and we, can, we can be a free people again. And so we see that there's kind of this conspiracy going on against Nebuchadnezzar. And here the Lord, he's, he steps in with Jeremiah and tells Jeremiah... Make this yoke, walk around, show the people, send it to these kings and tell them that's not the case. You, you think Nebuchadnezzar is weak, but I, the Lord, have decreed that not only is Jerusalem and Judah and Zedekiah, but also all of these other lands around that Babylon is captured. It's the Lord who has decreed that they would be in bondage and in uh, uh, submission to Nebuchadnezzar and to Babylon because it was the Lord who had established Nebuchadnezzar. That's what it says there in verse 6. He says, I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. The Lord says he's my servant and he's given them. And he says, all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the time of the land comes. And then it talks about when the Lord will finally depose Babylon and the rulers there with another nation. Uh, Context to this is in Daniel. Turn over to Daniel chapter 2. You guys know the book of Daniel. Daniel was one of the young men that was captured and taken in captivity to Babylon early on, uh, him and, and many others. Uh, but Daniel, the Lord used mightily in the kingdom of Babylon uh, to interpret dreams for Nebuchadnezzar, to prophesy things. Um, and we see in Daniel chapter 2 uh, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar here, he has this dream um, Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream, this disturbing dream or confusing dream to him, and he calls all of his sorcerers and magicians and astrologers and says, I want you to interpret this dream for me. But not only do I want you to interpret this dream for me, I want you to tell me what this dream is. 
I'm not going to tell you. You tell it to me. And if you don't do it, I'm going to cut you in pieces <laughs> and I'm going to make your house an ash heap. Um, but if you're able to tell me the dream and its interpretation, then I'll reward you. And you know, as the story goes on, that none of the magician, sorcerers, anybody could interpret or could tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream, let alone interpret it, except for Daniel. And Daniel, knowing the Lord and knowing the Lord's power, prays to the Lord and asks for the dream and the interpretation. And Daniel is given that. Uh, and uh, look at verse 27. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. Daniel says they can't do it. Verse 28, But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So his dream contains a, a picture of, of future prophecy of the latter days. It says, Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come, come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets, the Lord, has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of of your heart, And so then he goes in and says, here's what the dream is. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth." And then Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Just like what Jeremiah says. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of he the heaven, he has given them into your hand. Again, what Jeremiah says. And has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. And then he goes on and talks about the rest of this image. The rest of the image, uh, it goes on and talks about these other kingdoms that will come after Babylon. The head of gold is Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar and his rule. The kingdom that comes after that, the, the uh, chest and arms of silver is a Medo-Persian empire that comes in and takes over and, and, and breaks Babylon and then becomes the, the world empire at that time. And then the, uh, the uh, belly and thighs of bronze 
we see from history is the, the Greek empire that comes in afterwards and takes over from the uh, Assyrian or the Medo-Persian empire. And then we have the legs of iron, which we know again historically is the Roman empire. And then we have the last part, the feet partly of iron and partly of clay, which is the restored Roman Empire, uh, the world rule of the Antichrist in the last days as you read through the prophecy and see what's taking place. So, but the message for Nebuchadnezzar is the Lord has given you this kingdom, this empire. He's given you these lands. He's given you authority. He's made you this head of gold. And Nebuchadnezzar, he takes this picture, this vision that the Lord has given him, and rather than listening to it and understanding it's the Lord who gave him this empire and the Lord's got a time that it's going to be cut off when the Medo-Persians will come in, instead he says, well, I'm not just the head of gold. I'm the whole body. And that's when he builds this massive image all out of gold, in essence saying, this is me, my empire, it's not going to end, I'm going to stand here, it's all the Babylonian empire, nothing's going to stop it, and then he commands everyone to bow down and worship it, and that's the whole story we know of Daniel, uh, or of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not bow the knee, and would not worship, and then they're thrown in the fiery furnace, and they have the fourth man who's standing there, who I believe is uh, uh, the Lord with them, defending them. So we know that that whole picture. But this is what the Lord had given to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He had appointed him to be ruler for this time. The Lord raised him up and gave him the authority to rule. And in the main part, we know prophetically, the reason that he was lifted up was in judgment against Israel and against Judah for turning against the Lord. And that Babylon coming in and taking them captive, Israel would be, Judah would be in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. Uh, and this was the Lord's judgment upon them. And the Lord had raised him up and used him and called him his servant. If you continue reading in Daniel, we're not going to look at it tonight. But you'll see that Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he has these cycles of of understanding the Lord's power and that the Lord had given him this kingdom and this empire, but then he gets puffed up like he did with this statue. He gets puffed up. Uh, in fact, we see him standing and looking at his gardens and his palace and saying, look at what I've done. And at that point, the Lord says, no more. The Lord says, you're so prideful, Nebuchadnezzar. I've shown you this is all me. I've given you this kingdom. I've given you this power and this authority, but you think it's all you. And at that point, Nebuchadnezzar, what happens? He, he turns into almost like a wild beast, goes out into the field for seven years, and he's eating grass, and his fingernails grow like claws and hair-like feather, and he loses his mind, and the Lord has to humble him at that point. Um, and we see that. But um, go back to Jeremiah here. But we see this is uh, what the Lord has done. He raised up Nebuchadnezzar. He raised him up. And the Lord called Judah and the nations around Judah to submit to Babylon. And if they would submit to the judgment that the Lord had given them, 
then things would be okay. They would be under judgment. There would be bondage. They wouldn't be free people. They wouldn't be their own sovereign nations any longer. But their cities would not be destroyed. They would have people still in the land to till the ground. It would still be a place where they can live and stay if they would just submit to the Lord. And that was the picture that Jeremiah was showing uh, to all of these people and, and says, put the yoke on, bend your neck, submit, let the Lord do his work that he's called, uh, that he's going to do through Babylon, through Nebuchadnezzar. Submit to the judgment of the Lord. The Lord was calling the people to be humble. That was his whole thing throughout what we've seen throughout Jeremiah is for them to repent, to recognize their sin, to recognize that the Lord had given them many blessings and they turned their back on him, that they, they played the harlot with many gods in their temple. They were prideful thinking that, that they had it all because they had the temple. All of these things, and the Lord was saying, no, you've turned your hearts away from me and I'm judging you now. And now what you need to do is to submit to that judgment, to submit to that. And things will go well with you. He tells them that, that if, if they serve him, I will let them remain in their own land. Verse 11, it says, and they shall till it and dwell in it. And he says that. And so verse 12, it says, Jeremiah is speaking here. He says, I also spoke to Zedekiah, king of Judah. So he did this for these kings said, don't, don't do this rebellion, don't rebel, otherwise you're, you're just going to be wiped out. Um, submit, and you'll be able to stay in the land. And then he says, turns and speaks to Zedekiah and says, uh, I spoke to Zedekiah, king of Judah, according to all these words, saying, bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. Why will you die? You and your people by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence as the Lord has spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon. Therefore, do not listen to the words of the prophets who speak to you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. For I have not sent them, says the Lord, yet they prophesy a lie in my name that I may drive you out and that you may perish, you and the prophets who prophesy to you. See, the other nations, they had their prophets. They had their diviners. Diviners were those who would look at uh, the signs all around them and try to determine what was the right thing to do, either by omens, reading the patterns of birds flying in the air, or how little bones would fall on the ground, or tea leaves in a bowl. And they, those were the diviners. The sorcerers uh, sorry, the dreamers obviously were just that. They were those who would, who would sit there and dream and seek visions and try to interpret them again in order to say this is what we should do. And, and the uh, soothsayers were those who, who would go and study and, and look at you know, the wisdom of men and, and all of these ancient writings and then they would say this is what uh, is the right thing for us to do. And then sorcerers are those who uh, would contact the dead through uh, or seek to contact the dead, demon, demonic spirits, demonic beings, through rituals and sorcery and all of these things. Again, trying to seek and find these things. And for these 
nations, the Lord says, don't listen to them. They're going to tell you that you shouldn't serve the king of Babylon, but they're prophesying a lie to you. And the purpose is to drive you out from your land. And to Zedekiah, he says, you, Zedekiah here, you have the false prophets. The other nations, they had these guys who were doing all of these wicked things, these abominations that the Lord had talked about. But even in Judah, they had prophets who were supposed to be prophets of the Lord. And they were prophesying falsely. They were prophesying lies in the Lord's name. You know, in times of trouble and difficulty, there are always going to be those who are going to rise up and give false prophecies and false messages. The Lord judges people for sin. The Lord judges and has consequences upon people. There's judgment. I mean, we look at Romans chapter uh, 1. It talks about how the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness already. There's judgment. And yet there are always those who rise up and say, no, the Lord's not judging. The Lord's, it's not wrong. It's, it's okay. Just continue on. You'll be free. Continue on to do what you're doing. Don't worry about it. But they're all prophesying falsely. It, it, they're prophesying lies. And the Lord says, I have not sent them. And, and the fact is, is that when, when the people would listen to them, they're going to just be driven out. The judgment that was judgment uh, was going to become much worse for them if they heeded that. And it's the same thing for us, you guys. There, there are so many false messages out there. There are false teachers in the church that, that teach things that are contradictory to the scriptures. You have the, the prosperity gospel that's taught that says that God wants you to be wealthy, to be rich, to have no lack, that if you have faith enough in the Lord that you won't struggle financially. Uh, you have even the health teachers that say if you have faith enough, you're not going to have any sickness or suffering. All of these things that are false gospels and false teachings that go against what the scriptures teach. And in fact, if you take any of those teachings any of those false gospels and you put it in another society or culture that's not affluent like we have in the West, it doesn't work. Take a prosperity gospel and go preach it to uh, the poorest nations in Africa. You know, the Lord wants you to be wealthy and rich, just have faith. It doesn't work. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. You have teachers in the church that are, are prophesying uh, falsely. You, I mean, you find it all over YouTube, things that are false prophecies uh, of things that will take place. You have people prophesying, had people prophesying that Trump would be back in office uh, years ago. You had people prophesying uh, about uh, being able to end uh, COVID and to stop people from getting sick from it. You have, I mean, you have all of these things that are out there. And there's even more deceptive and, and uh, more insidi insidious false teachings out there. Teachings that we see in our culture, in the church, that say that uh, there's no issue with 
homosexuality, fornication, adultery, uh, no issues with uh, using drugs, no issues with, with uh, pornography. You have these teachings in the church that, that, that open the door for sin and say, the Lord's not judging these things. That's not relevant any longer. This is not what the Bible says. How can you even believe and trust what, what that says? You have teachers that we've had in the church for a century now who have belittled what the scriptures have said, who have said that when the Bible talks about the fall of Adam and Eve, it's just an allegory uh, for man, that, that the things in Genesis 1 through 6 are just stories and, 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 and again, allegories or parables of things that take place, contradicting Jesus himself, contradicting the scriptures. You have this higher criticism that has been in the church now for hundreds of years that has torn apart the scripture and said, this is not inspired, this is not inspired, the miracles are not true, anything supernatural is not true, just rip it out and say, this is, this is just what the scriptures are. And, and it's a, just a good book for us to, to know morals and, and, and good teachings and, and philosophy and all of these things. And then all of this has been in the church. All of this has been taught. And all of this is ripping God's people off and sending them out from the things that the Lord has promised them and preventing people from true repentance before the Lord. All of these things are. And the Lord has judged sin. He judged it on the cross. But yet the Lord is still righteous and demands that the people who follow him obey him, obey his word, obey his commands, be obedient to him. And yet we have these people who contradict all of that and are ripping people off. And at the same time, the church has had the word of God, has had the Holy Spirit, and has neglected these things. And in neglecting it has then listened to the false teaching and gone off. That's why we see we talked about it in our men's group on Monday night. Um, and I think Dan might have brought it up on Sunday or Wednesday here. But there was a new poll that came out. It's like four, six or four percent of people who say they're Bible born again Christians that actually have a biblical worldview that actually read their scriptures. 4%, 4% has gone down like, I think, uh, 6 or 8% since uh, 2019. And we have the church neglecting what God has given us. And in neglecting what God has given us, the church is falling apart. It's, it's just becoming that lukewarm Laodicean church that we read about in the book of Revelation. For us as believers, we need to be in the Word of God. It's, we're broken record here saying over and over again to be in the Word of God, be in the Word of God, be in the Word of God. Everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness is in here. You're struggling in your marriage. The Bible has something to tell you. Husband, 
Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Dwell with your wife with understanding. Dwell with her as a weaker vessel. Wives, love your husbands. Honor them. Submit to them. Parents, don't provoke your children. You're struggling in your work. The scriptures have a message for you. Submit to your masters. Do your work as though you're doing it unto the Lord. Bring him glory in that. You're struggling with finances. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about food and clothing. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. Struggling with sickness. If anyone's sick, let them call the elders to pray for them. If you're struggling with your faith, taste the Lord and see that he's good. Get in the scriptures. Ask the Lord to show you the truth of them. Apply them to your life and you will have new life. You'll be able to live the life that God has called you. He's given us his Holy Spirit. You read the word and you say, I don't understand this. The Lord has given you the gift of his very presence in you, if you seek him and ask him, Lord, open up your scriptures to me. Teach me what they have to say. Give me understanding in them. And the Lord promises that he will. The Lord has given us everything we need in the scriptures, and we need to be a people that are devoted to it. The Lord has called us to be like Jeremiah, submitted to him with that yoke around our neck. We're not submitted to Babylon for Babylon's sake, Nebuchadnezzar's sake, but we're submitted to what the Lord has called us to. And in that submission, then, we are standing upon the truth of the word of God. See, our submission is not weakness. Our submission to the Lord is the very strength that keeps us in the place the Lord wants us to be in, in that submission. And to be that salt and that light in the world around us. When we cast off the yokes that the Lord has placed upon us, when we cast those things off, we lose our testimony before the world because the Lord's called us to do certain things and to not do certain things, not for our salvation, but because of our salvation. And in being submitted to him in those things, that is where our testimony comes from. That is where our power of the witness to the people around us comes from is in being obedient to the Lord. And that's what Jeremiah was doing. That's what we are called to do. And that's what he's calling the people to. Look at verse 16 here. It says, Also I spoke to the priests and all this people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Do not listen to the words of your prophets who prophesy to you, saying, Behold, The vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. Again, the lies were being prophesied. See, earlier on, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar had come in and had taken vessels from the temple and taken them along with people um, uh, to Babylon in captivity. Uh, And here the prophets were saying... They're going to come back. In two years' time, they're going to come back. Shortly now, the, these vessels will be brought back to Israel. But the Lord says, don't listen to them. 
serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should this city be laid waste? It says, but if the prophets, it says, but if they are prophets, and if the word of the Lord is with them, let them now make intercession to the Lord of hosts that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah, and at Jerusalem do not go to Babylon. See, they hadn't taken everything. And the Lord says, you know what? The, the vessels aren't coming back right now that have gone. What you need to do instead is to humble yourself, submit to the king of Babylon, and pray to the Lord that the rest of the vessels, the rest of these articles, the rest of these precious things are not taken into Babylon, into captivity. Pray and be humble before the Lord. Verse 19, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, concerning the pillars, concerning the sea, concerning the carts, and concerning the remainder of the vessels that remain in the city, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, did not take when he carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from Jerusalem to Babylon, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Yes, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord and in the house of of the king of Judah and of Jerusalem, they shall be carried to Babylon. And there they shall be until the day that I visit them, says the Lord. Then I will bring them up and restore them to this place. The pillars, I was looking at the pillars, the amazing things that were built for this temple. They were bronze. Says, the Bible says they were four fingers thick um, bronze, which is not the whole pillar itself, but the actual metal, they were hollow cylinders. And four fingers is about three inches, at least my fingers anyway. Um, and uh, it was uh, about, they were about 27 feet tall. And uh, I wrote it down, but I forgot to put it in my notes here. I had it on a little piece of paper. But it was um, about six or seven feet wide, these pillars, two of them. They had this beautiful chain network going all the way up of them. Hundreds of these bronze pomegranates carved and hung on them. Had these capitals shaped like tulips on the top that were another about six or seven feet tall. Um, and huge, heavy pieces of bronze. It was Jachin and Boaz, the pillars that Solomon had set up in the temple. The king, when he would go and he would make pronouncements before the people would stand in front of one of these pillars. And uh, the sea, the sea is, uh, is that massive, held uh, about 10,000 gallons of water, massive bronze sea that was used for cleansing the, the priests out there. And then the other vessels uh, held about 20 uh, or about 200 gallons each, again, bronze vessels, all of these beautiful things there. And the Lord says they're going to be going. They're going to be taken away. They're going to be carried off to Babylon, uh, these things. And in fact, in, in 2 Kings, we see the fulfillment of this. The Chaldeans come in. They knock the pillars down. It says they break them in pieces. They carry off the sea and the carts and their stands, and they take them away to Babylon. Uh, and so here's the judgment. It says, don't, don't look for uh, this sudden deliverance from Babylon for the people. He it says, it's, the judgment's coming. 
you need to pray and intercede that these things won't go, but the Lord knows the hearts of the people that they're not going to be humble and repent, and they're going to just be carried away into Babylon. What, what's interesting to me, and I may be making more out of this than, than is there, but is verse 22, it says, They shall be carried to Babylon, and there they shall be until the day that I visit them, says the Lord. Then I will bring them up and restore them to this place. Many Bible teachers that say, well, this took place in the book of Ezra. In the book of Ezra, we read about the ta- we read about some of the vessels coming back, but we don't read about these massive things that were taken, that uh, were brought to Babylon. We don't read about them coming back to the temple. In fact, when you read Ezra and Nehemiah and you see the reaction of the people, they're looking at this temple that they've built and they're weeping over it because it doesn't look the same as Solomon's temple had looked. It's not as glorious as it was after this judgment. And uh, I find it very interesting that it's the Lord that says that there will be a day that he visits where these are, and he is the one who will bring them up and restore them to this place. I don't know if that means that the Lord himself will come at some point. We do read in Ezekiel when it talks about the millennial temple that's built it it talks about pillars that are set up there and I wonder perhaps these things exist somewhere in the world and the Lord knows where they are and at that point when Jesus comes back and the temple is being built there that he goes and he gathers these things that are still there and brings them I don't know Um, but you know what I do know is that as we look at Bible prophecy as we read it as we study it uh, as we see it unfold before us the things that we think are just pictures and, and maybe not fulfilled as literally as we think they are, they, they are in fact the opposite, fulfilled very literally, more literally than we think they would be. You look at the prophecies of Jesus and his suffering, and they are so literal down to a T, the things that Jesus went through and what he did in his first coming. And I, I wonder... Uh, at some of these prophecies, how literal they're going to be when we see them fulfilled. So again, I may be making more out of it, but I thought that was neat to see that jump out is that the Lord says, I will bring them up and restore them to this place. So look at uh, chapter 28. I'm almost done here. It says, and it happened in the same year at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah in the fourth year and the fifth month, The timing is very important here, and that's why it's recorded. It says, In this time, the fourth year, fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet, who is from Gibeon, which is the same place where Jeremiah is from, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests of all the people, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. So he's prophesying, and he's saying, I'm breaking it off. He says, within two full years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So here, Hananiah, he is prophesying exactly the opposite from what the Lord had given to Jeremiah. He's saying, now two years' time, these things are going to be restored. The yoke's going to be broken off. 
I'm going to break that yoke and I'm going to restore the captives. I'm going to bring back the king, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim. I'm going to bring back these captives. I'm going to bring back these temple articles, the vessels of the Lord's house, and, and you're going to be restored. Two years time, Hananiah prophesies. What does the Bible say test of a prophet is? If what he prophesies comes to pass, he's a prophet. But if what he prophesies does not come to pass, he's prophesying falsely and is deserving of death. Verse 5, it says, Then the prophet Jeremiah, look at his humility here, spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. The Lord do so. Jeremiah said, If that's what the Lord's message is, then let the Lord do it. Let it be. Again, he was saying that that's the test of your prophecy. If what you're saying is true, it's going to come to pass. That's what Jeremiah is saying. Amen. The Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. Nevertheless, so here Jeremiah, he turns now, he says, Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. In essence, Jeremiah, he's kind of challenging Hananiah, but he's doing it in a, in a, again in a very humble way. He's saying, listen, look at history. The prophets, they prophesied that there was going to be war, that there was going to be famine, that there was going to be pestilence and disaster and these things. And we've seen them take place, Jeremiah says. They said uh, uh, the Assyrians come in and conquer Israel, just like the prophets prophesied. They had Babylon come in the first time and, and, and uh, take away captive all of these people. And that it was fulfilled prophecy. And Jeremiah says that that's the track record here is that when the Lord says judgment's coming, judgment's coming. And, and but if there's a prophet who prophesies peace, again, the test of his prophecy, whether he's true or not, is if it comes to pass. Hananiah, I don't think he liked that very much. So he tries to trump Jeremiah here. And it says, verse 10, Hananiah, the prophet took the yoke off of the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. So he's trying to emphasize his prophecy, saying that the Lord's breaking the yoke of the king of Babylon. So he's breaking this yoke that the Lord told Jeremiah to wear. And it says, And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. Look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he doesn't respond. He's, and it says, and the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Servant of the Lord does not strive. That's what the scriptures say. That's what we see Jeremiah here. He's not striving. He's saying, you know what, Hananiah? If your prophecy is true, it'll come to pass. If not, then we'll see what happens. And he goes his way. But the Lord has a message for Hananiah. Jeremiah, he can go his way, but the Lord's not going to leave Hananiah there. For the sake, I think, of Jeremiah and for the sake of the people there. 
Verse 12, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. I also have given him the beasts of the field also. So the Lord says, you know what, Hananiah, you prophesied this, breaking the, the yoke, this wooden yoke off of my prophet's neck. You're saying that you're contradicting me, that, that everybody's going to be delivered in two years, and the yoke is broken, but all you've done now is you've replaced that yoke of wood with a yoke of iron unbreakable yoke now and what was going to be a lighter easier yoke to bear is now a heavier harder more difficult yoke and again that's what happens when we listen to false teaching and false prophecy right they prophesy no that's not the, what the lord has for you and break that yoke off of you but what really happens in its place is a yoke of iron bondage that's in its place when we don't submit to the Lord, when we don't submit to Him, when we're not obedient to Him, the, the yoke that's easy and that's light that the Lord talks about is gone. And we have a yoke of bondage to sin, to our flesh, to these other things, to people, all of these things. See, submission to the Lord makes it easy. Resisting the Lord makes it heavy and hard and difficult. And that's what the message was for Hananiah. But there was more. Verse 15. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Two months later, Hananiah died. And his prophecy did not come true. We'll read later on, Judah goes into captivity. Seventy years, just like the Lord said, prophesied through Jeremiah. What we see talked about, seventy years they're in cap captivity. Seventy years to let the land rest. Seventy years because they would not repent and turn to the Lord. And things, though the Lord was judging the people, things could have gone a little bit easier for them. There could have been more people left in the land. Their, their temple couldn't possibly have been left standing. Uh, they could have had these vessels still there. All of these things. But again, the people resisted the Lord's message. Jeremiah was vindicated in his message in these things. I'm sure it didn't make Jeremiah happy at all. But that was the Lord's message was repent, submit, judgment's coming, your time is up. But if you submit and repent and, and, and are in obedience to me, it will go well with you. Just go. Take your lumps. Take your consequences. And it will go well with you. We need to learn that in our own lives. Sometimes the Lord is, is chastising us for things in our lives things that, that 
we need to learn to be obedient to him in. Uh, I can't tell what it is for every one of you uh, that's between you and the Lord. But I think all of us know when the Lord's chastising or rebuking us. And we have the choice, submit or resist. If we submit, there's going to be the lumps. There's going to be the difficulty. It's chastising. It's, it's you think, picture a, a, a parent disciplining their child. There's the punishment. There's the rod. There's the spanking. There's the, the, the timeout. There's the grounding. There's the taking away of privileges and all of those things. But when it's done right, it's done in love. And that's what the Lord does for us. If we submit to him, then we learn. We learn not to do those things. We learn repentance. We learn obedience to him. But if we resist him, it becomes more difficult. We have rather that yoke than that yoke of wood, we have that yoke of iron that's placed on us. But, you guys, we have a responsibility in the times that we live in to be obedient to the Lord. You know, we've talked about watching that Jesus Revolution movie, reminding those of us that have known the stories of kind of the history of Calvary Chapel and just the the beautiful thing that the Lord did. Dan and I were talking after men's group just a little bit about just really the, the fruit of what the Lord did at that time in the lives of people. You look at uh, this time that the Lord was calling young people to place their faith in the Lord, to turn away from drugs, sex, rock and roll, alcohol, uh, new age mysticism, all the things that the world had to offer, to turn away from those things in repentance to the Lord. And we have seen the lasting fruit of that in churches, in people, in, in Christianity, even in our nation, things that that came to pass because of what the Lord was doing in the lives of people there. The key to the lasting fruit in those people's lives is twofold. One is obedience to the word of the Lord. Pastor Chuck, he taught the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You can still go back and listen to his teachings and you can hear how simple and straightforward it is. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter. The other part of it is a reliance upon the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need today. We need to be people who are in the word of God, obedient to it. Uh, workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what we're called to. It's not just for pastors or Bible teachers. It's for every individual believer to know God's word, to be able to rightly divide it, to study it to apply it to your life. It's for you, for all of us to do that. And again, the Lord's given us his Holy Spirit. If we rely on his Holy Spirit, then he illumines the things out of the scriptures in our hearts and our minds. He shows us how we're supposed to apply these things to our lives. And then we can walk forward and, and share the gospel with people around us. We become that salt and light that we want to be as Christians, as we are personally obedient to God's word. And when we have that, there's the lasting fruit. If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. John 14 talks about if we abide in Jesus, who's the vine, and where the branches will bear much fruit, right? 
We want that. But it, it comes down to, are you in the word of God? Are you praying? Are you seeking him? Are you simply being obedient? It's small things. It's, it's not this massive thing that has to take place in your life. It becomes a massive thing because of what the Lord does. But it starts with just simple obedience in the word of God. The Lord tells you to repent of a sin. You repent of that sin. The Lord calls you to be obedient to him and share in the gospel. You do that. The Lord tells you to abide in his word, then abide in his word. Just those little simple steps of faith that then build more faith, produce the fruit in your life that cause you to be salt and light to the people around you. And then you're sharing the gospel. And then we see healthy sheep beginning healthy sheep. And we see people coming to the Lord. That's what it takes. It takes us being obedient to the Lord, relying on him for his Holy Spirit. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we would be that people that love your word, that get up in the morning, crack open the word, pray to you, asking for your Holy Spirit to fill us, to show us things in your word, to speak to us, that we wouldn't start our days without seeking you first, Lord, that we would be obedient in the small things. And as we're obedient in the small things, you would give us responsibility over greater things, Lord, and that we would be a people who are salt and light, and that we would see people saved, Lord, because of the work that you've done in our hearts and our lives, Lord. We want to see revival, and it starts with us, Lord. It starts with our hearts being turned back to you, Lord. Remembering from where we've fallen, returning, repenting, repeating the first things. Going back to our first love. Lord, I pray that we would do that, that you would stir that desire in our hearts. Thank you so much in your name. Amen.